looking at is the limits of Christian freedoms. And basically in this text, verses 15 through 27, you see the limits of Christian freedom and the priorities of that freedom. Okay? Um, We began this text actually in chapter 8, verse 1, concerning things sacrificed to idols. And and understanding that um, is that we know that idols are nothing and meat that is offered to idols are nothing. But what I see in this text, and I think if you're honest with the text, you will look at this and you'll see the gray areas of Christendom. I have rights. I have freedoms that I have now as a child of God, as a Christian. But in those rights, there are still the things that I have to pay attention to that I should and should not do. In that also are what I would call gray areas, okay, making decisions that the Bible doesn't speak on, all right? Let me ask you a question. If you were ministering and witnessing to a co-worker or a neighbor who was Jewish, okay, and let's say that they're not faithful to their Judaism, they're just Jewish, all right, and they were to come over to your house, and you had been sharing and praying with them, or praying for them. You'd been sharing the gospel when the doors were open, and you were just trying to build a relationship. When they came over to your house, would you offer them a ham sandwich? Is it a sin to eat ham? Why would you not offer a ham sandwich to your Jewish friend? Because of my concern for them, my love for them. And that's sort of what you see happening in the church in Corinth, meat offered to idols. Okay, but if you look at this text in the middle of verse 12, okay, nevertheless, we do not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. The word hindrance there, we looked at this last week and a couple of weeks before, it has to do with putting obstacles into an advancing army. I don't want to do anything to cause an obstacles to the gospel. But then and we looked last week at verse 15, and in that he says, and I have used none of these. And what are these? He's referring to this right that Paul is referring to, this privilege that Paul is referring to, this freedom that Paul is referring to, to is to Make his living from the proclamation of the gospel. Pay the preacher. And he's given us through the first four, or for, through the first 13 um, verses a wonderful argument that the preacher needs to be prayed. And there's many other texts. All right? Why don't you take support, Paul? is the question that I was asking. And why have you set this right aside? And he makes a profound statement in verse 15. I want to take you back to that. For I would, <clears throat> for it would be better for me to die. Okay, you got that? It would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. I want to deal with the word boast. Eleven times in the New Testament, you will find this word used. Boast. All right? Five of those times, it is translated rejoicing. Okay? So if I read this in that framework, for I, it would be better for me to die 
than to have any man make my rejoicing an empty one. Okay? I would rather be dead than be confused with somebody who's in the ministry for money. Okay? Anybody here today know men or women who are in the ministry for money? Turn the TV on, uh, the, the, the angel, whatever, the TV, TBS and all the rest. There's a great scandal going through TBS right now, Trinity Broadcast. Uh, I don't want to go into details. I, don't, I refuse to speak about it until all the evidence is on the table. But it's, if it's truly what is being said, um, it'll be a miracle if Trinity Broadcast stays on the air. Well, I can't say that. Jimmy Swaggart's on the air. So, uh, But... We, we understand this, okay? So uh, there are those who are in the ministry for pay. But let me explain something to you. We all look at that with this horrific, oh my God, I can't believe they're doing that. What did Balaam do? He was a prophet for hire. What did Micah do in the book of Judges? He was a prophet for hire. Whatever you want to hear, I'll work it. Okay, we need to understand something today, church. First Peter 5 says, there are men in this work for filthy lucre. That's First Peter said, you know what? Pay attention. There will be men who will come and claim to be great shepherds of God and they're in it for the cash. Uh, Second Peter, he says, uh, there are people who will literally do this to make merchandise of people. It's an amazing phrase in the Greek. He literally is doing it merchandising people. Okay? The Apostle Paul says, I don't want to be confused with that anyway, any way in my ministry. Okay? Uh, and he said, I'd rather die than to have that joy, that, that glory, that rejoicing. Okay, now you understand where he's not talking about bragging, he's not talking about boasting. Okay, we re- I really want you guys to hear this. You really need to hear this more than anything. Okay, ministry is received. It's never achieved. Did you hear what I said? It is received. It is a gracious, merciful gift from God. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to achieve it. All right, now then I want to clear that so you've got a good handle on what I just said. You cannot be saved and not have a ministry. Okay? And the Apostle Paul's ministry is very clear. And he says, I don't want anybody to confuse what my ministry is. And I, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. I want you to use that to grid for today's message. Your ministry, you have a ministry. Okay, and I'm going to ask you some questions about your ministry. Paul says, I understand ministry and that I have nothing to do with it. Okay, but he says, you know what? There's one thing in my ministry that I have a special joy in. I want you to see that in verse 15 because that drags you into 16. Okay, because in 15, he says, I'd rather die than to make my joy an empty joy or to make my boasting an empty boasting to have this thing, this thing that brings me a thrill. 
Let me ask you a question. Does your ministry bring you a thrill? Does your ministry bring you a joy? There was something in the Apostles Paul's ministry that he had chosen to do that was a cause for elation. Elation. Have you, uh, well, ask yourselves a question. I'll ask it. I, I need to get this specific to you. You need to hear this today, Castle Rock Baptist Church. What brings you a thrill? I mean, one of those woo things. Just excitement. What just stimulates you that you just think, I think I'm going to bust? Because if I take this back without getting into syntax and some weird stuff that I've run into in this text, when Paul says, and I mean, when Paul says that to have any man make my boast an empty one, that's a New American Standard translation. Uh, that's an understatement for what is being laid out in the original language. He says, I have something that just flat out can't keep me tied down. It thrills me. It excites me. It is so passionate in me. It just makes me want to laugh out loud at what I do. Okay? And he says, what this is, I'd never give it up. Why? It thrills me. Ask yourself a question. What thrills you today? Ask yourself this question. What just blesses your socks off? What blessed Paul so much that he would rather die than get rid of it? Let me show you some stuff here. Okay, I got there at point one, the gospel, the compulsion, and a reward. Now, I want to show you something about this. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, okay, let me ex- explain something to you about what he just states in that text. He wants you to understand that the thing that he would, that thrills him so much that he would die before he would give it up. It's not the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. The apostle Paul loves the gospel. Don't get me wrong. But you also understand, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. All right? He rejoiced in the gospel. Right? But he was obligated to the gospel. Wasn't he? Okay? Is anybody here obligated to the gospel? Listen, if you get a chance to teach, if you teach anything but the gospel, you've perverted the privilege. Because the privilege has been given to you by God and what he wants out is the word of God, which is the gospel. Okay, so, but he says there is, there's something special that I am contributing to. I want you to think about this for a minute because I watch people get tied up in the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility and all the rest of it. When you come into the ministry, when you look at your ministry, you get called to your ministry and yet you even contribute to your ministry or you don't contribute to your ministry ask yourself that question are you contributing to your ministry would you ask yourself a question how much of paul did he give to the ministry the person of paul now i'm not talking about the holy spirit thing okay but when paul was in his ministry how much of paul was given to his ministry How much are you giving 
to your ministry. God gave you a ministry, supernatural empowerment, supernatural ability to serve. How much are you are involved in it? Okay, because Paul understood. Uh, he, let me tell you something. When it comes to the sovereignty of God, Paul understands it. Listen, Paul says, you know what? I wasn't looking for a ministry. I had a ministry. I was cruising along the road, minding my own business, ministering as I deemed necessary. And poof, out of the clear blue, what happened? God says, I have a ministry for you. And what was Paul's response when he saw Jesus on the Damascus road? Lord, what would you have me do? Think about that statement for a second. Yes, I understand that it's salvation, but let me ask you a question. How many of you have been on the road and were willing to say, Lord, what would you have me do? How many of us in this room today went, Lord, this is what I will do? You know what you just did? You became a minister for hire. You became a minister for hire. This text is just freaks me out. This is amazing stuff. Okay? Paul understood his ministry, but he also understood his contribution to his ministry. Okay? And he said that there's something that I do in my ministry I get excited about. And it isn't the gospel because I had nothing to do with that. God gave me the gospel. Right? The preaching ministry that Paul was into, he was obligated. It says it right there in verse 16. I'm under compulsion. I don't have an option in this thing. Even makes this statement, woe is to me. That woe is the same word that you see Jesus looking upon Bethsaida, Capernaum, and Chorazin. Cursed are you, he says, Jesus. That's the same thing Paul is saying. Curses me if I don't preach the gospel. Okay, so I can understand that Paul's rejoicing has nothing to do with the message. It has nothing to do with the ministry of preaching. And let me tell you something. This thing fascinated me. What is he speaking of? What in his life thrilled him in such a way that he loved the fact that he was able to contribute to that God-sanctioned service. Remember, he was just going down the road minding those business. Right? Lord says, I have a plan. Paul says, what would you have me do? I want you to go to the Gentiles. I want you to turn them from darkness to life. I want you to tell them about the forgiveness of sins. And poof! All of a sudden, out of the clear blue, Paul says, I was in the ministry. I didn't have anything to do with it. You know what's even weirder than that? Galatians chapter 1, you can go look at it yourself. He says, I, it was from my mother's womb. I was called an apostle to the, uh, to the Gentiles. You know what he means? It was decided before I was ever born what was going to happen. Not only that, Paul says... If I don't do it, I'm going to be in big trouble. And I didn't even ask for this privilege. I didn't ask for this responsibility. I didn't ask for this ministry. Okay, now listen, I want you to understand something. I understand the Apostle Paul boasted in the Lord. I understand that he glorified in the cross. I understand that he was not ashamed of the gospel. 
But there was something that he personally contributed to his ministry, to this God-sanctioned call that just flat out thrilled him. Okay? And I want to, I need you guys to kind of go with me here for a minute. Because part of the problem is what Paul's gift is, is my gift. And I don't think people understand it completely. Okay? Part of Paul's gift was the gift of prophecy. A prophet. Okay? Now I'm not talking about the opposite of prophet. I'm talking about someone who stands forth and proclaims. Do you really understand what is entitled in that and, and what is encompassed? in that gift, and in that ministry. And when most of us would say, well, yeah, I kind of understand. It's the preaching and it's all the rest of it. Let me tell you something. I preached at Olford Ministries, and when I got done, they evaluated me. And the first thing they said is, you've been called to preach and exhort. And you could have stuck up. Have you ever just had that sick feeling in your stomach? Where you just kind of, ugh. Have you ever experienced that? Where got bad news about something or something just went wrong and you just, ugh. That's the way I felt. When they told me that my gift was preaching and exhortation. Okay? Now, I know all of you guys have your little spiritual gifts and you're tickled to death to be supernaturally empowered, but I didn't want mine. Okay? And I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't want it. To this date, I still don't want it, but you know what? I'm under compulsion. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. I want to show you some things... That the Apostle Paul, I I think maybe the reason that this thing just excites me is partially because of my gift and what I've been called to at this time. Okay, I want to show Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 1. Verse 5, Jeremiah, this is the Lord speaking To Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Okay? Now, I want you to look at this from the, the view of a call of a prophet. Okay, now, now I understand Jeremiah is the office of prophet. Okay, but if you think about it, um, exhortation, the spiritual gift of exhortation, it comes alongside and exhorts. It comes alongside and, 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 and it picks up the person and helps hold them. And as it's walking, it explains and it walks and it carries and it comforts. You know what prophets do? One thing and one thing only. They confront. See, a priest takes the people to God. A prophet is God to the people. Do you understand that? Okay, so when a prophet is speaking, he speaks... Thus saith the Lord, and usually if the Lord is trying to tell the people something, they're not going to be happy about what's being said. Okay, I haven't seen it anywhere in Scripture where the people were like, Oh, gee, we're going to be judged. Great. Okay, I, I, just, I just haven't seen that. Um, and, and if I have, I, they would make me nervous. He says, I formed you in the womb. I knew you. 
I sanctified you. I consecrated you. You have been ordained. All right? So he was called to be a prophet when? No, 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 no. Before he was even in the womb, God said, you will be my prophet. Okay, so what plans did Jeremiah have? Okay, I mean, think about it. We have some young people in here and we're thinking about, I'm going to do this when I grow up. I want to try to do this. I'd like to accomplish this. I'd like to accomplish this. What plans does a prophet get? None. You know what I found out a few years ago? I told you guys, uh, some of you remember when I went back to uh, uh, Georgia for the commencement, or commencement, the consecration of my uncle's ashes. Uh, He had been murdered. And all of my relatives, I run into some relatives there that I hadn't seen well, Jiminy Crickets, they couldn't drive the last time I saw them, and some of them have kids that are close to driving age. Okay, so it's, it's a long time ago since I've seen some of my relatives. My Aunt Sue was there, who was the widow of my uncle, and, and we had some time together. And uh, my, uh, my uncle was um, of the birth line of the Wesleys, okay, which would be the Methodist church. And uh, so my grandmother, when she was nearing, uh, nearing death, she had gone uh, and lived with them down in the northern part of Georgia. And uh, she, uh, my Aunt Sue was speaking, and I had a chance to speak at my uh, uncle's uh, memorial and things like that. And so we went back to the house, and we were talking. I was getting ready to leave the next day for, for Memphis. And uh, uh, she came up to me, and she was crying a little bit. And I said, uh, you know, here you have the loss of a husband. Uh, and I said, you know, how can I pray for you? She says, there's something I need to share with you. And I said, what is that? She says, um, there's something that you didn't know that you need to know. And I said, okay, what's that? She says, uh, um, Grandma, you know, Grandma lived with us for about the last nine or ten years of her life. And I said, yeah. And she says, you know, there was something she prayed for every day of her life uh, that she could remember. Uh, and it was for the Ball family. And I said, really? I said, what was that? She says, that there would be a Baptist preacher in the Ball family. And then she smiled at me real big. And she says, but Grandma would have never dreamed it had been you. <laughs> so I found that fascinating and then not so fascinating. But when you think about that, if God says, I've planned this, When you're a little kid, guess what? You're stuck. When you're a man, you're in God's will. Jeremiah understand that my will was to only what? Speak God's truth. Now, I want you to go over to chapter 20 of Jeremiah. And and I I want to pick it up in verse 7, but I want you to see how things are going for the prophet of God. Okay, Jeremiah understood what God would have him do, and he was doing it. And here's how well he was doing with it. When Pashur, the priest, the son of Emmer, who was the chief officer of the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, Pashur had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in stocks that were at the upper Benjamin gate, which was by the house of the Lord. I'm thinking that the prophet and the priest ain't getting along. What do you think? 
Okay, on the next day when Pashur released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, Pashur, it is not the name of the Lord. It is not the name the Lord has called you, but rather Magar Mishabah. You know what that word means? Terror on every side. Look what he says. The Lord has called you. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I am going to make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. Now this is the guy who just got released out of the stocks after being beaten. And now people, you understand why I don't like the gift I have? Okay. Um, here's what he says. He says, I am going to make you a terror to yourselves and to all your friends. And while your eyes look on, they will fall by the sword of their enemies. So I will give over all of Judah to the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will carry them away as exiles to Babylon and will slay them with a sword. I will also give over all the wealth of this city and all of its produce and all of its costly things, even all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give over to the hand of their enemies. And they will plunder them, take them away, and bring them to Babylon. And you, Pashur... And all who live in your house will go into captivity and you will enter Babylon and there you will die. And there you will be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have falsely prophesied. And you wonder, Jeremiah, why they're beating you and throwing you in chains. Okay? But I want to show you something that happens. And I believe that this happens a lot to the men who are gifted as prophets, public proclaimers. Here's what Jeremiah said. Now he's going to the Lord. Oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all day long, and everyone mocks me. Pretty interesting, don't you think? Look what else he says. Verse 8. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. Why? When God speaks to men through his prophets, here's what has to happen. The holiness of God is shown brightly on the darkness of man. And men will either repent and fall on their knees or what? They will attack the prophet. I've yet to see it any other way. There isn't a gray area. There just isn't one. You're either going to say, oh my, the Lord God. Or you're going to say, who asked you? That's what Jeremiah did. But I want to show you something in verse 9. Because Jeremiah says, you know what? I quit. This gift, this calling, this consecrated position you've given me, has caused me nothing but great anguish. And he's not talking about Israel or Judah going into captivity. He's talking about my own heartache. 
My people hate me. My friends hate me. Everybody hates me. And yet, Lord, I didn't get an option in this. You said you knit me in my mother's womb. You formed me. And before that, you knew me. Before that, you said I will be your prophet. And look at the anguish and the heartache you have laid upon me, my God. Look what he says. But if I say, I will not remember him. You know what he means? Or I will not speak anymore in his name. You know what he's saying? I quit. The prophet says, I'm done. I ain't doing this. This has got no benefit. All I do is make more and more people mad at me and more and more people despise me. More and more people laugh at me. More and more people mock me. It's getting me nothing but beatings. It's getting me nothing but arrested. Why in the world would I want to do this? So guess what, God? I quit. Look what he says. Then in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire. Read on. I love this. Shut up my bones. And I am weary of holding it in. And I cannot endure it anymore. You know what he's saying? <laughs> it's worse to stop <laughs> than it is to continue. I have this thing in my bones. And it'll eat me from the inside out if I don't do it. It's sort of like if I take this thing in, I got to get it out. And God says, you don't get the option of taking it in. Why? Because I already put it there. Because I knew you before you was in your mother's womb. And he makes a statement. He says, you know, you're stronger than me. Your word is in my heart. I need to go do this. A prophet has no choice. Do you understand that? When he tried to shut his mouth, the pain was worse than when he opened it and got ridiculed. Paul says the same thing. If you want to see this again, you can see it in Amos chapter 7, verse 15. There I was herding sheep where I belonged, Amos said. And God says, you're my prophet. And he, Amos says, who can resist a lion? <laughs> Amos chapter 3, verse 8. What could I do but prophesy Paul saying the same thing I can't boast I'm in a lot of trouble if I, if I, if I don't you know what when I read this when I read Amos I can show it to you in Ezekiel I can show it to you in Apostle Paul and all the rest of it several times I can show you this text I understand this let me share with you some things Dr. Stephen Olford Okay, Dr. Stephen Olford was in England. He had been raised a missionary in Africa, gone to England, gotten his engineering degree, uh, was in the process of getting his engineering degree, and he came up with a little invention. He had to invent something. He liked motorcycles, Dr. Stephen Olford did. So you're looking at the, like the 30s. This would be just before war, the breakout of uh, World War II. And he invented this thing okay, for his motorcycle. You and I know what it's called today. It's called fuel injection. And he managed to put it up so he could inject the heads on a motorcycle. And he got into motorcycle racing. And he realized that he could make a whole bunch of money doing this. Okay? Because it made his motorcycle virtually unbeatable as long as he didn't fall off of it. Okay? So that's what he was into. One night he had a little episode with the police department. I won't go into all the details on that. Uh, and it was a rainy night. And he was wearing one of them long wool coats. And he was riding his motorcycle home, and he managed to get home uh, in haste, we shall call it. And uh, the next day, he woke up with a cough. 
Within 48 hours, he had pneumonia. Do you understand that in the early 30s, he didn't have penicillin? So uh, he was very near death. And um, his father wrote him a letter, and in that letter was the, st- the title, that You Only Have One Life, and that that is lived for Christ is all that matters. All the rest is vanity, vanity, yes, vanity. Okay? When he came out of the pneumonia, which everybody says was a miracle, he understood that engineering is not what he was supposed to be doing, nor motorcycle racing, but it was to be a preacher of the gospel, and he had no other option. And he understood that. Let me give you another man that you may know about. This man actually had uh, graduated. Uh, He was third generation. uh, He is third generation. At the time, he wasn't. Uh, His grandfather and father were both preachers. And uh, he had graduated uh, high school and gotten a football scholarship and was turning into a fairly decent middle, possibly outside linebacker. And he thought that, you know, that would be a good way to make money. He could go pro, but also in that he would have the ability to, um, you know, share the gospel with uh, football players. He came home uh, on a spring break, and him and some friends were out driving around, and he was getting up the nerve to tell his father that he was not going to go into the ministry, but he was going to play football. Uh, His friends were going down uh, in a car, going at a high rate of speed. He was ejected from the car, and he slid 70 feet on the asphalt on his backside. Okay, I don't know if you know what asphalt and skin uh, have in common, but I can tell you this, nothing. And if you put the two together, asphalt always wins. So in the process of six months, he had to leave. Uh, he literally, from his shoulders to his heels, had been exposed to this asphalt. So he literally had to lay on a, a specially made bed. It had a hole that he could keep his face in uh, and literally let the asphalt come up out of the flesh so that uh, it it basically will weep its way out, and then you had to keep all the wounds open so that this asphalt chunks could come out. And uh, his dad says, well, you haven't got anything else to do, Johnny. Read your Bible. So he read his Bible. And as he laid there for six months in this position, he realized that God was calling him to preach and that he probably should not play college football. That man's name is John MacArthur. Okay, I myself remember waking up in a hospital... And um, the first words that came, I'd basically lost three days of life. I don't know what happened. I remember going to work on Monday. I woke up on Wednesday. And the first thoughts that came into my mind when I gained consciousness again was, you are not your own. You have been bought and paid for with a price. So I'd run out of options. Okay? I'll be honest with you. Uh, if you ask Amos, if you ask Jeremiah, if you ask Dr. Olford, if you ask John MacArthur, if you ask me, I can tell you and guarantee that all of us had a whole different path in life that we had planned. But you know what? When I woke up, I realized I was in a lot of trouble. And if I don't preach, uh, I'm going to be in a lot worse trouble. That is what my brother Paul is saying in this text. He doesn't have an option. So if he's taking great thrill in this, it can't be the gospel and it can't be preaching because Paul didn't get an option in either one of those. What it is, is something that the apostle Paul has a share in. So I want you to look at verse 17. 
For if I do this voluntarily, okay, literally it means by my decision, I have a reward. Okay, if I go out and preach this gospel and it's by my decision, God didn't have anything to do with it, I have my reward. But if it's against my reward, will, which preaching and the message, then I have a stewardship entrusted to me. That's what he's saying. Here's the parallels of my ministry. If I choose to do this, then it is my reward. But I have not chose this. Galatians says that he was chosen in his mother's womb. He says, so I now have a stewardship trusted to me. Let me explain that to you from your perspective. Okay, you've got to hear this. You cannot be saved today and not have a ministry. Understand your ministry. It is a stewardship that God has entrusted to you. If you are not faithful with the small part of that ministry, you don't ever have to worry about it growing. You don't ever have to worry about it doing any more or any less. Okay, why? Because you are a steward of what God's given you. God gave you a ministry. What are you doing with it? Okay, but in God's sovereignty, in God's omniscience, in God's omnipotence, you literally add to that. There's something that you can contribute to that ministry. Let me show you how this works, all right? Paul says, my ministry, I didn't have a choice. Preaching the gospel to the gospel and apostle to the Gentiles, I didn't have a choice. And yet there's something I contributed Okay, now Paul understands that what I contribute is not independent of God and God the Spirit. Okay? All right, in my ministry, when Terry's ministry, part of my ministry, I have not a choice. But you know what? There are things that I have contributed to my ministry. Okay? The message, I can't. God gives the message. Uh, the preaching, God gives the preaching. The ministry, God gives the ministry. Look what this says. Voluntarily. Okay, my will. Okay, if it was by my will, but I didn't choose this, Paul says. He says, if it is by my will and I choose this, then it's a stewardship for God. It has been committed to me. So you know what? Don't pat me on the back for it. Okay, but yet there's something the apostle Paul is rejoicing in. There's something that thrills him. He says, my boasting, my, my boasting, my rejoicing is not in my ministry. Why? Because I have no choice in my ministry. Okay? Don't exalt the preacher. Don't exalt the man or woman of God. Why? They're there because God put them there. You know, it's, it's sort of like when we're... This drives me crazy. I, I have been an employee and an employer. Okay? And when you're an employee, don't you want to hear attaboys? Don't you? Uh, you did a good job or you did this. Do you realize the motive that is behind that? You're being paid to do that. It's your job. You should get an attaboy when you do something above and beyond what your job calls for. But we want to do our normal job and expect to get these accolades. Let me tell you something. My normal job is the preaching of the gospel. It's not my fault. God chose it. So why would I want accolades for what God says this is what you're supposed to do? Think about that. I really want you to think about that because you have a ministry and how many want to serve if I get accolades? 
want to teach if I get accolades? Well, let me tell you something. If God gave you the ministry, then you get no accolades. You get no pats on the back. Why? You're only doing what God has called you to do. Okay, but in that ministry, think about this for a second. In that ministry, is there something that I contribute to that is above and beyond what God has called me to do? Above and beyond my ministry. Okay, so if I look at this text, he says, I have a stewardship, verse 17, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul's stewardship, what was that? To preach and teach. It was a message. Okay, he's been called to do this. That's not what excited Paul. Okay, his personal part of the ministry. Look at verse 18. All right, if it's a stewardship in verse 17 entrusted to me, then what then is my reward? I mean, the privilege came from God. The power came from God. The calling came from God. What's your reward? The fact that he gave you the ministry is your reward. Okay? So what is it that he boasted in? What is it that he took great word in? Look what he says there. That when I preach, and see what he says here. I want you to understand what he's saying here. He's very emphatic about this. He didn't preach multiples. What did he preach? The gospel. Okay, what does Paul get thrilled about? Look right there. I may offer the gospel without charge. Okay, what did Paul contribute to that? Let me share with you something. God didn't tell Paul to offer the gospel without charge. On contraire. Don't muzzle the ox. We already looked at that text. He's already shows it. He teaches it himself. First, second Timothy, he teaches it. Okay, you've got to understand it. I understand it. But he says, God didn't tell me to offer with no charge. It is my privilege to do that. It's Paul's choice. One part of his ministry that he had the choice in. And he got excited about that privilege. You ever thought about that? I make the gospel free of charge that I abuse not my right in the gospel. Look, read, read the rest of the verse. I offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use. Okay, some of your translations will say not to abuse my right in the gospel. And it literally means full use. Okay, and I want you to understand something here. You've you, you got to look at two pictures here. One is God's, what has God done in Paul? And then what has Paul done in the ministry that God has given him? So when he gets excited about it, he gets excited about the perspective of what he's doing in his ministry. The fact that he can preach for nothing because that's something I don't have to do, but I've chosen to do. Okay, what he did is he has taken a right, he has taken a freedom, he's taken a privilege, and he has set it aside so he can rejoice in contributing to the ministry that God had given him. Okay, Paul had to preach. Okay, Paul had to preach the gospel. But Paul didn't have to preach for nothing. That was his contribution. Why? I want it to be no hindrance to anybody. 
I don't want anybody to ever accuse me of being in this thing for the money. And he took a special joy in that. The translation says boasting, but it's rejoicing. It's thrilling. It's just excitement. It is thrilled. It is out of this world. I have not used my right at all, he says. I have a right for support, and I have refused it absolutely. I have never made any use of this right, this liberty, this freedom that I have in Christ. And that thrills me about my ministry. That's the attitude we should have when we set aside our liberty. Do you get that? I want to show you. To the gospel, to the gospel, there is a reward. Okay? There is compulsion to the gospel, isn't there? Who's supposed to preach the gospel? Every child of God. There you go, just in case you missed that part. Okay? But it's under compulsion. You don't have a choice. But there's a reward in it. What is that reward? What do you contribute? Every single one of you who is saved this day has a ministry that is given to you a privilege from the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do to contribute? And when you have to give up a freedom, what's your attitude? How many of us have to give up a freedom here for the gospel? I do. Okay, when I have to give up a freedom for the gospel... What's your attitude? I can tell you what it is. Monday night's Bible study, I was teaching on what it means to present ourselves to the people. Okay, to the body of Christ. I'm presenting myself to the people. And in that context in Romans 12, (coughs) the Apostle Paul says this. When they are rejoicing, rejoice with them. When they are weeping, you weep with them. Let me ask you a question. Be honest. Is it easier to weep with somebody or to rejoice with somebody? Be honest, it's easier to weep. Why don't we like to rejoice? When God uses someone beyond any measure of their success, of their ability, of their power, why do we struggle? Why don't we have standing ovations and hallelujahs and fall over in joy when a new saint enters the kingdom? I know why. Because I didn't contribute. And if I didn't contribute, I ain't going to take any joy in it. The Apostle Paul says, even when I have to refrain on the freedom of simply this, I'm not going to receive money for the gospel. I take great joy in that. Why? Because it is me being able to give to what God has already given me. That's a tough message, people. I mean, how many of us think about this? This week, no, we don't use weak Christians, do we? we? That carnal Christian is messing with my freedom. If they weren't so legalistic, they'd understand. Many times we will have to restrict our liberty. But my question would be this day, what's the motive of restricting that liberty? What's the attitude restricting that liberty? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I choose my mind. Bunch of whining Christians. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying in this text? I choose to work night and day 
Isn't that wonderful? How many of you are willing to stand up for that one? I choose to work night and day so I can preach the gospel for no reason at all. I don't have to do this. I can make my living at it. But I'm going to do it this way. You know what is amazing? That was a source of joy for the Apostle Paul. Why? Because Paul understood that it removed all hindrance to the gospel. Great thrill for Paul to see people respond to the gospel and being able to remove any hindrance was exciting to the Apostle Paul. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a heart for the lost? Do you have a heart for discipleship? Do you understand that if you have a heart for the lost, there are some freedoms that must be given up so you can reach the lost? If you have a heart for discipleship, guess what? There's some freedoms that must be given up. Your freedoms. Love your brethren. Don't we want to see them grow? Some liberty may need to be set aside. Okay, how many of us at times have this mentality? Why do these weak brothers have to come to my church? Huh? Now, listen, this is as practical as it gets, brothers and sisters. I mean, you need to grab this. Wives, what are you supposed to do to your husbands? But they don't understand my freedom. It says you are to come up under them. That's what it means. But you just... What does it say? Okay, I can do it both ways. Husbands! What are you supposed to do with your wives? I know. I know. Like Christ in the church, I know. He died for her. She'll get over it. What's your attitude? Let me ask you a question, men. Are you willing to give up freedom for your wives? Your liberties for your wives? Yeah. Wrong attitude. Do you ever count it a joy to give up that freedom? Wives, when you have to submit to your husband and all of their boneheaded decisions, is it a joy? See the difference? And that's what Paul's getting at in this text. Why? What's your priorities? What's your priorities? Your freedom or Christ's glory? It's that simple. It's that simple. You know, Paul, when I think about his privileges and with all kinds of privileges, we should have a joy in our heart when I have to restrict my privileges. You ever thought about that? Why? It's a contribution to a ministry that God has given me that is my decision that I use to add to my ministry. The Apostle Paul had the ability to love people like that. How about you? I'm going to close with this thought. I guess not a thought, it's a challenge, a question, whatever you want to call it. 
What is your ministry? What has God given you the privilege of? And then the second question is, what are you contributing to the privilege that God has given you? Because knowledge without love is nothing. It's hot air. But love edifies. Let's pray. Father, I just praise you for your word. I praise you for my brother Paul. And Lord, I just pray that we be sensitive to you this day, that we hear from you this day, my King. Father, we rejoice in the wonder of wonders. Lord, the, the privilege of being in your kingdom, the privilege of your word, the privilege of, of walking with you. Father, the privilege of serving you. And Father, may uh, we draw upon your faith, your holiness, your presence for our attitudes and our actions. Father, start with our hearts first. Start with our hearts. Father, think about my brother Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos. Lord, uh, their heartache. And yet, Lord, they sought you. Father, may we be a people who seek you. May we be a group, a body of people who are longing and thirsting for you. Father, the things of this world are not that important. Father, the only thing that we can invest in that is eternal is people's souls. Let that be our passion. To you, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ's name.